0: Lindsay Rowland. Today on our show, we have a return guest, Mr. Albert Watkins of Coldner and Watkins Law. Albert is the lawyer for the QAnon shaman, media name QAnon shaman, Jacob Chansley. He joined our show prior to discuss his client's pending case. Today, he joins us to give an update on Jake's case, the solitary confinement issue, and the continuous human rights abuses. Hi, Mr. Watkins. Thank you for being here today.
1: It's a real pleasure. I'm glad glad to be back.
0: Yeah, who knew we'd still be um, in the middle of this eight months later. But uh, can we just start out with, can you just give us a general uh, what has occurred, uh, transpired in the last couple months on this case?
1: Well, a great deal has transpired. Approximately five months after I commenced having the privilege of representing the shaman, I've been screaming and yelling about the need for the Department of Justice and the government, the courts, and indeed the public to not try to label all of those who appeared at the Capitol on January 6th as lawbreakers or insurrectionists or evil people with nefarious motives. And in fact, I suggested rather loudly after about five months that there needs to be compassion exhibited to and empathy for many of these individuals due to their mental health vulnerabilities and no matter how politically correct i was i got nowhere until i put it front and center by being relatively crash in my description of many of those who were accused of crimes arising out of their appearance at the capitol on january 6th and lo and behold in short order it became apparent to the world and uh, the court all of a sudden embraced the fact and the Department of Justice embraced the fact that placing these individuals in solitary confinement for an unlimited period of time amounted to nothing less than pure torture. Anybody, anybody with education on mental health issues, and we all have them one form or another, will tell you that the worst thing that you can do to ensure that somebody is thrown into the deep, dark abyss is to put them into solitary confinement. And so what you have is you have individuals like Jake Chansley, who were not violent, they were not destructive, they weren't thieves, they had no no nefarious motives, they didn't assault people, being held in a gulag-type Solitary confinement, cruel and unusual punishment, they're not released pending trial, there's no end in sight, and their minds and mental states are being really significantly compromised. So by bringing this to the fore, I was able to garner for Jake immediate mental health care, which came not a moment too soon. Also, we were able to procure an order of the court for a psych evaluation to be conducted at a facility that was capable of doing so in the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Jake was transferred in short order to Inglewood, Colorado, where he underwent the most rigorous psych exam I have ever witnessed in the history of the U.S. Bureau of Prisons. That doctor spent time, a lot of time, and really, really did a a splendid job identifying some very significant mental health disorders that Jacob Chansley is facing and is challenged with right now, all of which are exacerbated by the treatment he received since January 6th. And what's even more troubling about all of it is that The U.S. Department of Justice knew or should have known since they took Mr. Chansley into custody, who, by the way, he voluntarily and peacefully surrendered. They didn't have to have a shootout at the OK Corral. He was told they wanted to talk to him. He immediately went to federal law enforcement. He immediately, peacefully surrendered, and he immediately cooperated. Now, what ended up happening was, And only because I was loud about this entire thing, I was able to garner and compel from the government a release of the medical records of the psych evaluation that they had of Jacob Chansley in 2006 when he served on the USS Kitty Hawk. So here's a man who's a veteran. He served our nation. He indeed had a pre-existing mental health condition. He was honorably discharged. The government knew it in 2021 when they had Jake in his custody, and their response was to falsely assert that Jake was trying to lead an insurrection, lead the charge into the Capitol. In truth and in fact, that wasn't the case, and the government knew it. They knew he wasn't violent. They knew he was not destructive or possessed of any nefarious objectives. They knew it. In fact, I showed it to them because I had made a plea to the public to provide me with video of Jake from January 6th, and I got more video than the government got. I was able to provide the government with a step-by-step video presentation of every, every inch traversed by Mr. Chansley in the Capitol, showing him helping police, showing him being peaceful, showing him encouraging others to be peaceful helping law enforcement get their stolen equipment back, thwarting a theft, helping police to empty out the Capitol when the president said it was time to go home. So because of all this noise that I was able to make, we got this information, and all of a sudden, the Department of Justice got it. And the court was heard from the Department of Justice. Yes, yes they, they admitted. Jacob wasn't a planner. Jacob Chansley, the shaman, wasn't violent. In fact, Jacob Chansley was possessed of mental health vulnerabilities. I liken him to Forrest Gump. And, you know, there's no more gentle man I have ever met in my life than Jacob Chansley. He's bright. He's smart. And while he was not held in solitary confinement, yes, he had problems reading social cues, but he was able to, because he was so smart and intelligent, keep it together enough to be able to fall well within what you and I might call the bell curve of mental health normalcy. But when you put anybody, even someone in the best of health, best of mental health, in the Solitary confinement for an indefinite period, you get in toward 160, 170 days with no light at the end of the tunnel, and your mind does terrible things. And the government, before I made all the noise and was able to finally bring to the fore the mental health issue, and they took it seriously, the government had the audacity to respond to my overtures in this regard by suggesting that because Mr. Chansley was vulnerable mentally, that he was more of a flight risk. In -hmm. effect, hey, we're going to ruin your client by holding him in solitary confinement. We're going to render him a mental mess. And then we're going to point to the mental mess and say, see, that's the reason. Mm -hmm. And it is appalling. And even the government, even the Department of Justice, finally got it. The courts, of course, now get it. And the mental health care that's needed is there. And great progress has been made on putting this this case in a light so that it's no longer a situation where the government is trying to make Jacob Chansley to January 6th what the swoosh is to Nike.
0: So is he currently in solitary confinement for what? Because when we talked a little bit, we talked before, I I don't know if he was in solitary confinement when we first talked, but is is he currently being held in solitary confinement right now?
1: Well, you know, it's an interesting question and it's a fluid situation. Let me explain why. While he was in the Bureau of Prisons facility getting a psych exam, he was interacting with and dealing with people, professionals, healthcare professionals, mental health care professionals, and others who were in similar situations. His mental acuity, his mental health was pronounced, was articulate, was bright, and was his normal self when he was returned to Alexandria, Virginia, there was a loosening of the COVID protocols. Mm, Okay. But but it was very short lived because of the Delta variant. Mm. And so while I have a court that is saying, make sure this man gets his mental health care, make sure that he has protracted access to his counsel, because we have to navigate certain things in a in a fashion that permits my client to knowingly and freely and voluntarily make certain decisions for his own benefit but as counsel my duty is to make sure he's in a mental state where he can do that where i'm not talking to somebody who who is not capable of digesting what's going on so we, we have an order of the court that's what we want, but now we're facing the administrative and bureaucratic infrastructure that's being employed outside of the court, but within the Bureau of Prisons. And it's a very challenging and bureaucratic mess that has to be navigated. So I've been on the phone with the court. I've been in contact with the government. And as of today, we understand what was a short Term return to segregated holding of my client in solitary confinement is as we speak right now being reversed to ensure the mental health of my client. But this is the remarkable reality you know, mental health as been a taboo subject for many people to address and there's been a great deal of headway that's been made lately over the last generation certainly that has taken away the stigma associated with we we see the olympics we see people Mm. genuinely owning issues that they need to reconcile that they need to address that they need health care for it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of a health issue that needs to be addressed. But our judicial system, our Department of Justice, our US military, our US Bureau of Prisons has never been able to get up the learning curve fast enough to grow and develop with the increasing body of medical and scientific knowledge about the prevalence of mental health care issues of all nature.
0: You mentioned that he was back in Alexandria. So is he not in D.C. jail? He's oh. in Alexandria?
1: Yeah, when we first had the privilege of representing Jake, he was not able to eat because he was being served food that was not consistent with his shaman faith. We procured an order of the court of the federal court mandating that organic food be served to Mr. Chansley. And the Department of Corrections in the District of Columbia failed and refused to comply with the federal judge's order, going so far as to send a representative into the court saying, hey, we can't comply. We don't have the capacity. And the judge immediately took measures to have Jake transferred across the river, across the Potomac, into Alexandria, Virginia, where he's housed in a facility that operates under a contract with the Department of, or with the Bureau of Prisons.
0: So that means that he's not with, when he's not in solitary confinement, he's not around other six January defendants then, right? Because they're all in DC or?
1: No, the, the, interestingly, the government got smart on that too, because initially they just started throwing everybody into the DC Department of Corrections facility. That's which what I not, thought. Which is not part of the US Bureau of Prisons either. It's just a federal facility for the, for the District of Columbia. And they were overwhelmed, overwhelmed, understaffed. And what ended up happening is people, really good people with zero criminal history, suffered and sustained significant injuries at the hands of violent criminals who were being held at the same location, with one person incurring the loss of an eye and you know, I want of, to
0: touch on that case and I think he a hearing loss too right there was some hearing damage done
1: yeah So well anytime you have that type of head and neck trauma you it's usually not one thing but it's a systemic issue and that's what happened with that man
0: yeah let's talk about I want to talk about that because I believe that that is um is that marty tankoff tankoff's no. uh, client and him and I have uh, chat back and forth he actually teaches um he teaches in Georgetown um sometimes so I need to meet up with him but so yeah so what happened with it did I kind of got the impression that he just was was just beaten by a guard like kind of set up and the guard just came in and just beat him yeah,
1: yeah. so you know I've heard a variety of stories I represent a number of the defendants uh, I did hear what I understand to be a firsthand description of what happened and I do understand that there may be a federal civil rights claim that is colorable and valid that can be pursued on behalf of this detained, then detained uh, defendant. And I will tell you that it's a sad day, but it's not a day that we should all think is an isolated incident. When you have those who are, Jailers, those who are guards, those who are law enforcement in detention facilities, orchestrating and either actively or passively playing a role in the wholesale deprivation of the safety, health and welfare of a confined, not convicted, but confined, criminally accused. Remember, In this great land, we have a funny little thing called the Constitution and the presumption of innocence and the right to confront your accusers and the right to counsel in the process. And when you have a compromise of those constitutional rights in particular, but any constitutional rights in general, You're compromising them, not simply for the individual involved, but for you, me, and everyone in our nation, including especially those who felt truly in their hearts and their souls, like they were in D.C. at the special instance and request of their president, their commander-in-chief, that one man to whom many of these January 6th defendants swore, took an oath to obey as part of their commitment to the US Armed Forces. It's a sad, sad day in America when one of our criminally accused gets bludgeoned in that fashion And we can talk all we want about our political beliefs, our aspirations, whether somebody's wrong because they're from, from, you know, ultra-conservative or wrong because they're ultra-liberal or anywhere in between. This is a nation that was founded on the principle that opinions, one's own opinions were indeed something that you were innately entitled to have and to express and not be subject to gulag-like conditions or political persecution or being held in solitary confinement. I mean, what's next? Education camps?
0: Yeah, so two things on that. Yeah, I was at, I think we talked about this before, but I was at the rally that day, and and Trump gave a powerful speech. So I can attest to to the movement that was going on that day. It was powerful. Yeah. And back on the beating thing, I'm just shocked that, I I mean, I have had my own time. I've been in jail uh, a couple of times just for like random things. I do know that there's a whole different like level of like what's acceptable there and what isn't. But what I don't understand is how they thought that they were going to get away with being this guy, especially with like these such high profile cases. So I'm just like, I'm just a little shocked. And hopefully there's a civil case and hopefully he gets some money off of this. But um... what
1: I want, what I want to make sure is that those people that were paid with taxpayer dollars to do their duty inside that jail as jailers are properly held accountable. For their role, be that role active or passive. Sometimes all a jailer has to do is simply look the other way.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, somebody obviously was looking the other way, or they gave a a clear go ahead. But yeah, that just blows my mind. And you did mention that you said he now he was bailed. Did he get bail?
1: Yeah, ultimately, when you have an eye lost and you need medical care, pretrial release becomes a lot more palatable to the government and the courts. It's a really sad and pathetic thing to think that that's what someone has to endure to be able to take advantage of their constitutional rights for which our soldiers, sailors, army men, women have fought and died and shed blood for, to protect and Our Department of Justice under Biden seems to have a wholesale incapacity to embrace how painful that is for an ordinary citizen, regardless of their political beliefs, to observe and to know that this is tolerated in this great land.
0: Yeah. And it's also a little concerning as well. This isn't real recent, but this was, I remember, Representative James Comer and I think Elizabeth Warren and Dick Durbin, they had, you know, discussed the things that were going on and they had a hear, I don't know if they actually had a hearing on it, but, but then it kind of went away. It hit the news a little bit. I saw a couple articles and then it went away. It's like, nobody really cares. And I don't think the well, DC mayor, go ahead uh- go ahead.
1: I don't think you've heard the end of that. Now, let me suggest to you, and I don't know this, but as somebody who has pursued federal civil rights claims on behalf of individuals who have died and the families of those who have died in situations not significantly different from what we're talking about here, when this happens, the government has a sense of alarm because not only are they now dealing with a defendant and a case that is garnering more attention than perhaps they wanted, they're also dealing with a federal civil rights case and another lawyer and the potential for recovery and a significant amount of recovery and an investigation and discovery rights. So it, from the outside looking in, may appear to have gone silent. And in truth, in fact, from the outside looking in, it has. But I can assure you from the inside, there's a beehive of activity going on right now and if there isn't one someone should pick up the phone and call me
0: okay good good to know I do want to make sure we maximize this time I want to go, jump into I have a bunch of questions to ask you about that as well but I wanted the important important one I want to hit up is um I did see a couple articles are you and you know you can tell me if you, you can't go into this but are you guys getting ready to take a plea
1: yeah, so the goal and objective was to make sure we were in a position to have the government understand and appreciate with a greater degree of clarity, exactly the wholesale absence of a role by Jacob Chansley in any planning or, or rallying of the troops or anything like that. And, you know, I have said since the very beginning, when you are somewhere, you should not, as a matter of law, be and you're there depicted on miles and miles and miles of videotape, it's hard to challenge or defend against that aspect of matters. There are legal nuances involved. There are lots of things that can be done. That's different from obstruction or felony charges that are really far-fetched. So from the very beginning with Mr. Chandler and with many of the defendants here. It's not a matter of guilt or not guilt. It's a matter of properly charging the individual, and then instead of labeling them all insurrectionists, putting the court and the Department of Justice and the world on notice about what they really did and did not do, so that you can have the appropriate meeting out of justice. If I murdered my wife, and plan it for years, and I poison her a little bit every single day over the course of the year, and ultimately she died, that's called murder. If I walk in on my wife and she's having a torrid love affair with a postman without my knowledge and acquiescence, and in a fit of absolute abject horror, kill her, yes, I'm guilty of murder. I planned it at the doorway, and I executed it three steps later. But the difference is not guilt. The difference is culpability. And when you have people with mental health issues, mental cue issues, issues having to do with processing social cues, and they aren't leaders, and they aren't nefarious, and they aren't evil, they aren't violent, they aren't destructive, they aren't thieves. It's a matter of culpability. So when you have the government starting out and saying to my client, we want you to do 25 years in jail concurrently for each of these four felony counts, it's mortifying. Now you have a wholesale change in posture where the government's all of a sudden saying, wait a minute, we did move too quickly. Wait a minute, he wasn't a planner, he wasn't violent. And oh, by the way, Mr. Watkins was right. This young man has some vulnerabilities that we need to really assess in terms of culpability. And oh, by the way, now this young man has been subjected to pure torture for 170 days. Yeah, I'll get credit for time, sure. But every day of time served is like, you know, exponentially more service of trauma and, I mean, pure torture than he would ever experience in a general population and a minimum security federal facility. So I had to make sure that the government was brought up that way and the court was and negotiate plea terms that were Very, very sensitive to those realities. But to get to a point where that plea can be knowingly (laughs) and voluntarily entered into by my client, I have to make sure that my client has the time to review and the access to all of this discovery, including miles and miles of video footage, and that his mental state and his acuity are at a level that permits him to digest all of this material. That was my challenge. And we're getting close to we're getting close to getting that that taken care of.
0: Yeah, but isn't his mental health just gonna deteriorate? You know, it's only gonna get worse from here. I mean, do you see his mental health getting better to make this decision? Like how do you
1: it did get better with the protracted period that he had in federal custody in Colorado? Uh, it has taken a step back, but it won't be for long. We have gone to great measures to put into place a, a place for Jake to live, to be treated for mental health issues, physical health monitoring, counseling, psychotherapy, and to do it in a, an extraordinarily safe and secure location for him. And that's part of what we're navigating with the government and the courts right now.
0: Well, good luck with that. I'm really excited to see what happens, but it sounds like it's coming a lot sooner than, um, you know, it was before. So I hope to,
1: it's been a lot of work.
0: Yeah, I bet. I wanted to ask you what his plans were when he got out, but you kind of, you you did answer that. So I'm glad that you hopefully will have a plan in place for him, for his mental health.
1: Yeah. Um, it's, It's interesting. You know, Jacob, one, one of the things or a couple of the things that you may not know about him is he spent his adult life working with disadvantaged and attention-needing troubled children that were in semi-confined facilities. And he did so, interestingly, in a fashion that gave rise to accolades about his patience, meaning his ability to be patient with, his, with these, these young people in settings that, you know, he'd work his shift and take care of folks and do what he had to do. But it was something that was part of his commitment. He's also a really remarkable artist and he's a writer of tremendously beautiful poetry. He's a a very talented, very talented man.
0: Yeah, that, yeah, I know he's, you know, I did, I did do some background reading on him before we, when I interviewed you before, I did want to ask you though, so I've seen sort of a little bit of momentum online about, obviously about the human rights abuses that are occurring. And then I've also seen a social media campaign that, that requests the release and the, and they're being referred to as political prisoners. Do you see Jake as being a political prisoner?
1: So I I can tell you that's a really interesting thing. Jake has become a cause celeb for many on the right who see Jake as a political prisoner. And I can tell you, I can embrace that characterization. Jake has interestingly also become a cause celeb for those who are trending to a far more liberal political position. And everyone in between as well. Because this mental health issue is one which across the board is almost a healing subject matter in that there's no divisiveness. We all recognize that those in our world, our colleagues, our our business partners, our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, we are all at risk for and subjected to, in one form or another, our own mental health issues from time to time. And when you see a young man like Jake, naked from the waist up all day long, in the winter, in January, in Washington DC, that's kind of an indicator. Throw in the face paint, the horns, the fur. Okay, that's kind of an indicator. If you study the video, of how he acted you, you can almost see you can almost see Forrest Gump just oblivious to the world around him and everybody everyone knows whether you are a bleeding heart liberal who sits on your ass or one knee during the playing of the national anthem or Whether you are a flag-waving, rugged individualist from the heartland, it's wrong to take our weakest and to exploit them and torture them. I can see and categorically can embrace and agree with the characterization of Jake as a political prisoner because the government, even in their own pleading, we're so focused on Jake being the leader of the insurrection, leading the charge into the Capitol, stating in arguments before the court, he still believes this Trump. Well, you know what, last, I, last time I looked, that constitution kinda gave us that right to do exactly that and the, the balls, For a representative of our government to stand in a court and to say that somebody should not be allowed pretrial release because of their political beliefs, to me, is appalling.
0: Well, it's going to infuriate you, too, that other other, uh, defendants have been released. The ones that were held originally, like Jake was, are are out now, and just... Well,
1: and many of these who were also charged were violent. Many of them were destructive. Many of them were way caught up in the moment, well beyond simply being excited. And they were let go. Some, mm-hmm. of, them had, some of them had pre-existing records. Jake, though, for better or for worse, won the best costume contest of the day. And for better or for worse, the image of Jake with the face paint, the horns, and the fur, and the tattoos has become iconic and inextricably linked to and become the face of of January 6th.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: the, The government wanted to make a very profound statement about Jake. But sorry, one guy to pick on. They
0: yeah, pick. We. Well, he's got you in his back corner, so that's always helpful. I'd like to have you on my team. But I will say this. I think they even bailed a computer, the one that stole the computer to sell to Russia or something. Like, I think she even got bail. And I was like, how is how does that work, Pelosi? Yeah. Two more questions, because I know you're a busy man, and I always... Uh, I'm appreciative of your time. Second to last question is: When he, when Jake gets out of jail, will he try to shed the the QAnon Shaman name? The
1: QAnon Shaman—that's a label that was put on him by someone else. Yeah, he, you know, he didn't embrace it, but he didn't repudiate it. He thought it was all in fun. That being said, Jake is Jake. He goes by Jake. He's always gone by Jake. People call him a shaman. He's fine with that. But he has reached the point where he said, look, my political beliefs, many of them may not be in sync with QAnon. Many of them may be in sync with what many people who are into QAnon believe. But I'm not QAnon. I'm not the QAnon shaman. I'm Jake. And I am a shaman.
0: I think that's fair. Yep. Well said. And this question I've been waiting to ask, because this is an exciting one. I have to hear if you can tell us a little bit. I want to know. I'm pretty sure that you represented the McCloskeys. Yes. And I saw that they were pardoned by uh, Governor Mike Parson. Can you just tell us whatever you'll tell us about that case? Because I just think that's fascinating, this case.
1: Well, I mean, at the very beginning, it was what it was. You must remember, I I lived on that same street. I was the neighbors of the McCloskeys many years ago. Mr. McCloskey is a man whose older brother was in my older brother's class in high school. And Mm -hmm. Mr. McCloskey himself was in yet another one of my older brother's classes. I've known Mr. McCloskey since we wore short pants. He's an attorney in St. Louis. I crossed his path there. I never socialized with him. I wasn't in his circle. But he was a neighbor. He's somebody I'd known for a long time. And when, and I'm very familiar with that area. There was no way that those marchers going on to the mayor's home should have been on that private street. Because it wasn't on the way to the mayor's home. I can tell you that while I sincerely believe that the initial images of Mr. McCloskey and his wife on their front lawn protecting their home and themselves and their family made them look like Thurston Howell III on crack, (laughs) the fact of the matter is that image portrayed the absolute abject horror that they were feeling at that moment the fear. And that is all that was important to me as a man who is a, an agent of the court, a lawyer, a man who lives in a state that allows you to stand your ground, that's your right. And we live in a nation where we should not be subject to criminal prosecution because we took steps to protect our family, our wife, my wife, my children, my home, from individuals who collectively, not in their entirety, but individuals, a number of them, so as to give rise to fear apprehension, and not just fear, oh, they might get my sidewalk muddy. We're talking about a large number of loud, threatening, intimidating people, some of whom were not there to peacefully protest. That's a fact. And so once that became evident, I i, uh, I had the privilege of representing the McCloskeys, helping them make arrangements with uh, private security so that we had sharpshooters there for when the threatened mob came back, made sure that the original order for police to stand down from the protesters was reversed. That local law enforcement was allowed to do their job. We reached out to uh, Mark Meadows in, in the White House. And I must say the president was extremely proactive, but to the actions of the president, that would have been a bloodbath when they came back. And when that protesting crowd came back and they saw the perimeter of this home, with sharpshooters on top, and they saw local law enforcement cordoning off an area, protecting private property, doing what should have been done in the first place. When they saw federal agents present at the scene, you know what happened? The peaceful protesters were able to peacefully protest. And those that were not there for peaceful purposes could not get done what they wanted to do. Nobody got hurt, nobody got injured, nobody shot nobody arrested. That's what law enforcement is about. You can't defund them. You can't tell them, oh, let these folks do what they want. It's playtime. This is America. We are a nation ruled by laws and without the rule of law, without the chain of command, without the authority being recognized and respected, be it your president your local law enforcement, your federal law enforcement, you have no rule of law. When that happens, you have anarchy. I ended up taking into my custody the handgun that was held by Mrs. McCloskey. Because of that, the later prosecution rise to me being a fact witness. And that was when the governor, Mike Parsons, who became the governor after the resignation of Eric Reitner with his scandal, stood tall. And he he announced right up front, if you prosecute him and you get a conviction, I'm pardoning him. And what was delightful to see, whether you endorsed Governor Parson or not, was this was a politician who, without fanfare, Said, I'm going to do this if you do that. And lo and behold, that politician was true to his word. He did what he said he would do. That, to me, whether you agree with him or not, is noble. I respect it. And oh, by the way, I agree with him.
0: Did they get sentenced though? Were they were they found guilty? No,
1: they entered they entered into a plea deal after a special prosecutor, who used to be a a U.S. attorney here in St. Louis, looked at it and said, "Hey, charge him misdemeanor. You know, charge him a fine." So they said, "Okay, you know, no harm, no foul. If if, if there was fear in the heart of somebody, shouldn't have been fine." Well, it's not a felony. It's like a traffic ticket. And the pardon that came from the governor said, I don't care if it's a traffic ticket or not. I'm pardoning you.
0: Yeah, uh, that's awesome. I was like really happy to see that. So <laughs> awesome, really cool. <laughs> Did you have anything else that I missed about Jake that you wanted to put out to our audience before I let you go?
1: Yeah, before, before we close out, remember that tonight, as you're listening to this podcast, There'll be a young man with no criminal history who's a peaceful, peaceful man. A history of peacefulness who served our nation. Who's going to sleep alone after 23 hours today of solitary confinement. Now for over 170 successive days. And if this was your son, your daughter, your sibling your mom, your dad, your friend, even a stranger, our fellow American who served our nation is being treated worse than terrorists who lived at Gitmo. Yeah,
0: because they at least got to go outside.
1: Yeah. So, sadly, this is where our nation is. We will as a nation heal. We will as a nation overcome this. The events of January 6th will not be seen as a day of Pearl Harbor-like or 9-11-like impact. Now, January 6th is the day that we as a nation bellied up to the bar and figured out that, you know what? We all played a role in all of this, and we got to hold our government accountable. They can't act with reckless disregard for our rights. But we have to be smart as a nation, whether we agree with each other politically, whether we don't agree. We we need to stop being divisive. We need to be respectful. We need to be compassionate and empathetic for those with opinions different than our own and we need to fight to our death to allow people to have opinions different than our own. Not fight to our death because somebody disagrees with me. That's what our nation is about. And that's what January 6th will be seen to be. The day we as a nation started healing from this divisiveness spilled out all over. But in particular, mainstream media
0: All right. Well, thank you. Well said. And I do think about Jake. I do. I will say, I do say prayers for him. I do think about him. I I thought he was in DC though, but now he's in Alexander, which is right across the river, but still. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time.
1: Real pleasure. I uh, look forward to, I look forward to hearing you again.
0: All right. Great. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.